Hi, I'm David Cogswell, and I'm here with Sven Lindblad, chairman of uh, Lindblad Expeditions. We're in Svalbard, which is north of the 80th parallel in the Arctic Circle, and this is Insider Travel Report. Can you tell us a little bit about Svalbard? I don't think many people know even where it is, so you could maybe tell us why we're here, why you've chosen it, and why at this particular time of the year. All right, it's, it's a pretty substantial archipelago in the, uh, in, in its part of Norway. Uh, it does have actually a Russian presence, interestingly enough. Uh, it's a very complicated thing in, in one small part of Svalbard where they're still mining coal, actually. Uh, the main settlement here has longer been, which was really above all else a coal settle settlement. Uh, now they don't act. Now they don't. Uh, now they don't mine coal anymore, and it's become sort of a. It's got like 2,500 residents, and uh, they live mainly off of tourism. People who come up here and explore the Arctic in different ways. Uh, but it's a fantastic place. We've been coming here for decades uh, since uh, the first time I came here was in 1972. So it's a vast area, lots of fjords and bays and different islands. And it's uh, since 1970, I think it was 1970, there was a ban on hunting polar bears here. Uh, and so the population has rebounded. Uh, and so it's a fabulous place to see polar bears, amongst other wildlife. And I suppose in the time that you've been coming since 72, you see quite a lot of difference. Uh, has the polar bear population holding out in that regard? Well, the, the, the problem here for polar bears all over the Arctic is the loss of sea ice. So we are here now in, just to put this in perspective, we're here in April, right? What is today? April 20th, 25th. Uh, when I first came here in 1972, uh, we couldn't come up here until the latter part of July uh, because of sea ice this place would have been completely clogged with sea ice and it was very difficult to move around prior to that. Then in subsequent years we start coming in June, then in uh, May, and uh, a few years ago I came up here in the middle of March to see what was it like in the late winter, early spring, and it was absolutely stunning. And so I decided, uh, in fact the original uh, the the, uh, the first voyage of the National Geographic Endurance, which is the sister ship to this one, was intended to be uh, in this part of the world in April of 2020, which obviously got delayed for, for, for obvious reasons. But I was very, very excited about getting up here in the early season when there still uh, was a lot of, uh, relatively speaking, a lot of sea ice and the mountains covered in snow and it's a it's a very very beautiful time to be here as i think you've seen <laughs> in the last five days definitely definitely have uh we are on the resolution national geographic resolution which is i think your 10th ship i think your newest ship and uh this is only its second voyage i believe uh was first to antarctica anyway it's a new build and it's amazing that you were able to design it from the bottom up using all the insight of all your decades of experience. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how this ship is different and how this uh, fits your vision of where Lindblad Expeditions is going. Yeah. 
Well, up until re really up until 2017, when we when we built uh, 17 and 18, we built two U.S. flagships, and then subsequently the National Geographic Endurance and and this one, the Resolution. We had always uh, found ships that were in trouble in some form or another, uh, rebuilt them somewhat to fit our needs, uh, and that was great. I mean, that worked very very well. But then when we had the opportunity to build the ship from scratch. Uh, let's take this one specifically, uh, and the Endurance, which is identical. We got a team together of people who, you know, captains, expedition leaders, people who worked in the hotel department, engineers, uh, people from the marketing, uh, the, you know, real wide array of people in the organization. Said, look, let's let's have a blank sheet here and let's let's figure out what we want and let's put down uh, all of our aspirations and see if we can manage to build that. So, the premise here was. We did not want to sacrifice uh, expedition excellence. In fact, we wanted to enhance it. Uh, we knew that these ships were going to be primarily 90% in polar regions. Uh, and so we wanted to uh, build a ship where there was a, a connection with the outside wherever we were in the ship. So whether you're in your cabin, you're in the dining room, you're on deck eight here where the library is and another uh, public area, you're in the gym, the sauna, Everything looks out onto the uh, onto the surroundings, and um, to us that was very very important. Uh, along with viewing areas outside, uh, in multiple different areas, so that you can really be connected with the outdoors. So I think we've we we we've, we've accomplished that uh, from the perspective of that's very very important for for uh, for operating expeditions. We have great technical scientific gear, ROVs, underwater cameras. Uh, and such. We, uh, we have an indoor garage for our Zodiacs, which makes life a lot easier uh, in these polar regions, and we can get them out really, really quickly and get people ashore, uh, Zodiacs, kayaks when we want them. Uh, so all of that is, is, is very, very, very functional. And then at the same time, the ship is extraordinarily elegant. I would, I would say it's the most elegant ship I've ever been on. Very Scandinavian in its influence, very understated. Uh, we don't want uh, we don't want to have the inside jarring too much with the outside, and uh, it's incredibly comfortable. And I'm really really happy with this ship. And you know I've noticed that people coming aboard, guests, who who've always said, hey, the, you know they've appreciated our ships, but I've never heard them be as effusive as they are when they board uh, this ship. I mean, people come up to me all the time and say, Sven, I can't believe this ship. It's unbelievable. And so that's nice to hear. It is. It's amazing. I, I find every design detail speaks to me in terms of the intelligence behind it, the thought behind it. The oh, also, I want to mention it's got the biggest bridge of any ship I, uh, we, I've ever been on, and we did that on purpose so that you know because we do welcome our guests onto the bridge. Uh, for example, yesterday we were approaching a, a polar bear with a kill. And I don't know, we might have had <laughs> close to half the ship on the bridge, you know, watching the infrared camera and, and, and talking with the navigators about, you know, how we were approaching the bear, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, so it's, it's big, it's technologically extraordinary, and it's very, very comfortable from the perspective of guests being there with easy access out to the outside when they want to go out. You've, the company's been here since 79. You've been in travel long before that. Uh, how do you how do you see the future of the company and in terms of that definition of uh, how you of your mission how how Lindblad is different from others? 
Yeah, well, I, I, you know, this is a very, uh, this company has, has got a lot of DNA in it. Uh, I, you know, I started this company in 1979, not as a seasoned business person, but really as a, somebody who'd lived in East Africa, had developed a strong reverence for natural history uh, and the importance of natural systems. Uh, and I really wanted to build a, a company that followed in the footsteps of my father's company, where we could bring people out into into these wild places or places where there was a cultural interest or historic interest and really imbue them with, with, a, with a sense of wonder about what these places meant. And then in many instances, hopefully participate in what is uh, what we have to do as human beings, which is uh, generate greater care for these places. I mean, natural systems are under assault all over the world uh, in many, many ways. We know that, the, you know, the oceans are being threatened, the, the, you know, the, the rainforests are being diminished. We obviously have this huge concern regarding climate change, and, and we as human beings need to get more engaged in, in the fact that this is problematic and, and really activate ourselves to, to support this wonder which gives us so much, right? So I think travelers are very, very important in that regard because you, you expose people to beauty and wonder, uh, and I think it just changes how people view our relationship with, with these kinds of places. And so I feel very fortunate to be in the position where I can uh, help facilitate that connection between people and these extraordinary places. And, and that's really what drives me more than anything else, uh, is I, I, I really want to provi uh, provide a platform or an opportunity for people to think differently about this you know, essential relationship, us and our planet, and improve that relationship and then constantly find creative ways to make it a better one. Since you uh, hired a CEO just last year uh, and you have become chairman and uh, obviously don't have to deal with certain things you used to have to deal with, uh, how does that uh, help your, uh, or, or how are you able to change your life in positive ways in regard to this mission and so forth uh, in that now? Yeah, well, you know, when I think about it, when I look back on uh, when I started the, the company, I, I was out in the field a lot more. Research, development, leading expeditions, developing partnerships, uh, a lot of things that, that, that really were highly motivating to me and I think, you know, turned out to be, you know, really valuable for the, for the enterprise. And then eventually, you know, you, you get pulled in more and more to the day-to-day -day business activities of, of leading a public company with 10 ships and, and uh, you know, employees all over the world and lots of different challenges and such. And so, uh, to me, uh, finding a CEO was uh, finding freedom, basically. Uh, not to retire, uh, the purpose was <laughs> never to retire. Some people come to me and say, Sam, how are you enjoying retirement? And I said, well, that's not really what I'm doing. Uh, uh, but it has freed me from uh, some of the, a lot of the day-to-day -day activity that uh, that I really wanted to get away from. Uh, not 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 because I was you know wanting to s slack off, but but really because I really wanted to devote the time to to other things. And it's been really really gratifying. And I'm very appreciative of our, of our CEO, and I think he's doing a great job. So one thing that you like to do, I know, is, is scout around for new destinations. And I'm um, wondering if you have anything uh, in mind you'd like to tell us about that you're thinking about right now. Well, I, I, so 
next month I'm going to Polynesia, uh, French Polynesia, and I'm going to spend quite a lot of, although we've been involved with French Polynesia for quite some time, I want to, uh, I want to go deeper into French Polynesia and, and really understand certain places from a much, uh, much, much deeper perspective. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's an area or a part of the world that I believe is extraordinary on so many levels, culturally, historically, uh, from an undersea perspective. And it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't generate a lot of interest from the United States, which is interesting to me. So, so for example, take Hawaii. Hawaii has a, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 million visitors a year. Uh, I would argue that it's somewhat overdeveloped. Uh, and uh, it's about six hours from, uh, from Los Angeles to get there. Uh, Tahiti, Papiete, the capital of Tahiti is a couple of hours more than that. And it's an island, it's, an it's a group of islands that stretches east to west, uh, broader than Europe. Uh, it's got hundreds and hundreds of islands, uh, uh, very, very diverse in terms of what they are and what they represent. Uh, and I just think it's a fantastic place. And it has, in a good year, 200,000 people that visit. Right, so think about that for a moment, and uh, uh, relatively, you know, probably less than fifty thousand of those are Americans. So, I think French Polynesia is is a place I would really like to see more people, not too many people, but more somewhat more people have interest in, uh, because I think it's worthy of it. Uh, I just spent some time recently in Panama, uh, a month in Panama, looking at that more closely, and soon. Uh, we will come out with some ideas related to that part of the world. Panama is a, re you know, a remarkable place. I mean, Costa Rica gets all really the lion's share of interest in Central America. And Panama, just south, uh, uh, is equally, if not, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say anything negative about Costa Rica because I love Costa Rica, but, but you, have, uh, you have some things in Panama that you don't have in ca Costa Rica. Obviously, the Panama Canal, which is more than just a canal. It's a... It's a it's it's a uh, it's a biological system that's extraordinary, you know. With uh, with one of the, for example, in Lake Gatun, the most studied piece of tropical forest in the world exists on an island in the Panama Canal zone, uh, and uh, you have seven indigenous cultures, uh, distinct indigenous cultures, uh, which are extraordinarily interesting from the Embara. Uh, uh, community in, in the Darien part of Panama to the Guna in the, in the, in the Atlantic a, a group of atolls that stretch down towards Colombia. So, so I, I would really like to put Panama on the map uh, in a meaningful way, uh, you know, with a real connection to conservation because they're really committed to that as a government uh, and they really want to, uh, to use their natural assets wisely. And so I think there's tremendous opportunity there. And probably a whole lot of other places I'll find eventually. <laughs> but it takes time. Each one of these places takes time. You really have to devote the time. You have to devote the time to get to know the place from a geographic perspective, from a, you know, from a relationship perspective. Uh, and you have to go out and try different things to see what actually works uh, and what will be meaningful to travelers. So, so I really do look forward to spending more time doing that. Great. Well, I want to thank you, Sven Lindblad, for sharing your time and your ideas with us today. And uh, we could talk for hours, I know. But um, thank you very much. And thank you. I'm David Cogswell, and this is Insider Travel.